The Camby Report was produced and recorded on the traditional territories of the Quiquitlam, Mississaugas of the Credit, Anishinaabek, Chippewa, Haudenosaunee, and Wendat peoples. It's December 8th, 2023, and there are 1,044 days left until the Vancouver Municipal Elections. This is the Campy Report. I'm Matthew Naylor. I'm Ian Bushfield. And a very happy holidays to all celebrating out in Vancouver and its environs and across the entire scope of our listening audience. Uh, thank you so much for joining us for this December edition of the Camby Report. Uh, for those of you who are enjoy our programming, uh, please know that we could not do it without our uh, essential contributions from our patrons, patrons, patrons on Patreon. Uh, so, if you wish to uh, give a little to the Camby Report, please visit Patreon.com/slash Camby Report. Yes, patreon.com slash report. get into our Slack channel, hear about all of the live updates. It's better than Twitter, because I don't even go to that site anymore. Yes, definitely better than Twitter. Patreon.com slash report. So, what's happening in Vancouver right now? Uh, Ken Sim has decided to drop a bit of a bomb on some members of his own party, as he has decided to announce that he is going to move forward with a, a, basically a letter uh, to the province asking for them to dismantle the park board. Longtime listeners will remember that when Ken Sim announced his mayoralship campaign, the first policy he announced in 20... 19, way back, like in 2021, it was before the election year even, he said, I'm going to abolish the Vancouver Park Board. And it was a bold policy that got people to notice him. Uh, people were already noticing him having been the runner up in the previous campaign, but this was a headline. He then later changed campaign managers and they focused on more bread and butter safety issues. And it kind of fell to the wayside. And he ended up announcing a slate for ABC that would run for park board that ended up being six counts commissioners who all got elected. And the issue disappeared until a few days ago when he first leaked it. And then yesterday when he does this announcement that the park board is structurally broken, it doesn't work. It's a waste of money. It's got to go in the next six <laughs> months. Yep. I, I don't know exactly what's sparking the urgency or what's happening in six months or seven months. Uh, as the case may be, to uh, necessitate the the demolition of the Parks Board. Uh, but suffice it to say, not everyone was on board, especially since presumably the people who were enticed to run for the ABC slate uh, on the Park Board were doing so on the understanding that Kensim would not be abolishing the thing that they were running for, even though he had said, like, it, it was on, it was contingent on him changing his position. Seemingly, like, I can imagine you going and running a park board slate and still be hostile to it and still want to demolish it. 
like UKIP ran for European Parliament, despite hating Europe. The Bloc Québécois runs for the House of Commons. They don't like Canada. Separatists and people who want to, you know, take things down have political ends to running for this. And so you could have had a slate of park board commissioners come forward who are on the, we are going to be the last elected board. But I don't see any words before today that, or yesterday, that these commissioners were under that understanding. Which has led to a bit of uh, hurt feelings or misunderstanding and uh, a rather curt letter because uh, Ken Sim's chief of staff, Trevor Ford, has sent a letter to three of the, I guess, former or not former, technically, but uh, ABC commissioners, specifically Laura Christensen, Brent, uh, Brennan Bress, Brennan Bastiovansky, Brennan Bastiovansky, and Scott Jensen, saying basically goodbye. <laughs> We're going to move forward on getting rid of the park board without you. Thank you for your service, and don't let the door hit you on the way out. Yeah, Ken Sim held a press conference yesterday, and he was surrounded by. ABC councillors from City Council, except Rebecca Bly wasn't there, and I don't know anything about that. Uh, and three park board commissioners were there, Angela Hare, Jazz Verdi, and Mary Claire Howard. As you mentioned, uh, Christensen, Bastiovansky, and Jensen were missing because Trevor Ford told them, there is no need for any of you to attend the press conference this morning, nor attend any future transitional planning. So this brings us to kind of the meat of Sim's motion, which is asking the province to amend the Vancouver Charter to remove the need for an elected park board, have all those powers devolved to council. And the second part would create a transition working group. Uh, that working group would consist of Ken Sim as mayor, Trevor Ford, his chief of staff, two city councillors appointed by the mayor, uh, a park board commissioner, also picked by the mayor, it seems like, and six public members uh, also appointed by the mayor. Excellent. Uh, what what a way to get things done. Like it, it it's very it's very transparent, but like it will achieve the result that he wants. Like, and it is consultative. I I am I am a little like blown away by the brazenness of it. But like, yeah, the one defense can the one really interesting thing I think that. Sim has put in his motion is because the immediate first criticism that I see from a lot of people on Reddit and elsewhere commenting on this, especially people skeptical of ABC doing this is, well, they're just going to sell off the parks and golf courses and build how or, you know, sell it all off to developers and destroy oh, the no. parks and beaches. And he put a cap. <laughs> there, there are good parks, though. Some we want most parks. Parks are valuable to true, the city. True. I, I'm just thinking, oh, no, the Langara <laughs> golf course, who will but, save it? Yeah. So the caveat he is asking the province to put in goes beyond the alternative approval process that we talked about that Burnaby failed to go through recently, but would actually require a unanimous vote of all council members, along with provisions for a public referendum. So that's a pretty high bar to dispose of any parkland from the city, because uh, it just takes one consternatious councillor to either not show up or not vote for it. Uh, and you have to go through a public referendum process. Yes. So, um, good luck. Basically, uh, the the park board is is I, I think a little flabbergasted by the whole situation. Uh, the three remaining uh, members of the park board who are, are pro park board, I guess, 
uh, as mentioned before, Christensen, Bastriansky, and uh, Jensen have been uh, joined uh, up with Green member uh, Tom Digby and have been jokingly calling themselves the ABCD Caucus. Um, Bastriansky was at the Queen Elizabeth Park uh, Bloedel uh, Anniversary News Conference, along with John Cooper, uh, Vancouver hero. Uh, <laughs> after having been elected chair of the park board last week, which was not Ken Sim's primary choice. Yeah, Ken Sim, I guess it's been reported by Justin McElroy, had a preference that he knew there was these two factions on park board the moderates who are no longer really with ABC and Verdi, Howard, and Hare, who were more the conservative or Ken Sim aligned. And Sim's preference would have been to see the chair alternate between those two groups. There's no, um, park board chooses its own chair in the same way school board or like a nonprofit board does. It, do it isn't a mayor elected by the city. So they kind of just have a different chair every year often. And park board ultimately elected Bastoyevsky. Uh, with the three moderates voting with Digby, uh, and they also claimed the vice chair role, uh, and this seemingly pissed off Sim, which led a lot of the immediate reaction to the announcement by Sim to be, he is the most petty mayor we've had in Vancouver oh, in yeah. a long time. Like, absolutely. Like, it, it's, it's very small ball, like, hurt feelings shit that is going down with Ken Sim's office right now. Like, e even the thing with emailing the the Park Board commissioners who weren't on your side from the chief of staff's account rather than the mayor's account, like, not giving them the dignity of, of like, receiving a message from you is quite something. Yeah, I've heard other people in politics note on that, that it is quite the slight to say you're have your chief of staff send that message rather than have the balls to do it yourself. It's, it's up there with like being broken up with by text, but having someone yeah, else break to, up with you to have your best friend, uh, not even your best friend, just a guy you pay <laughs> break up. <laughs> Admittedly, I think this might be a good service that should exist. The, the breakup on your behalf service, but I digress. Uh, that's a free idea for anyone out there who wants it. Uh, hey, the guy who invented the dial-a-nurse company might actually take you oh up Lord. on that, Matthew. Oh, Lord. This doesn't seem like it was the first time Park Board has been in conflict. Uh, McElroy also reported that there was comments from Bastoyevsky announcing that back in May, there was a debate over fast-tracking a field hockey turf in Moberly Park, where... The moderates wanted a bit more consultation, but the Ken Simaline people just wanted it to go through and get done. Uh, the moderates won that vote on the split with Digby, but uh, council, having the power of the purse, decided to just give Park Board the money for it anyway, which basically usurped the need for a vote, which kind of highlights some of the dysfunction in the uh, structure of this agency that can make decisions like, but can't fund them. Are we really going to be all that worse off if Ken Sim gets his way and gets rid of the park board. I personally have never been that enamored with the park board as an institution and don't think we'll be missing it much if it goes away. However, if you're going to make it go away, I think that it should be done via a more 
open and consultative and democratic and less petty, uh, parochial and just like small minded process than is being pro- uh, proposed here, or at least, uh, yeah. That's basically what I saw in Councillor Christine Boyle's comments on this, that this kind of came out of nowhere and seemingly was a wishy-washy campaign promise and her words that no one really took seriously. And therefore, how can we now suddenly decide that this is necessary? Uh, the Greens on council, as well as Francis Beulah, have suggested that maybe a public referendum would be necessary to give this legitimacy. Uh, we both have our yes. feelings on public referendums. They're bad. Uh, Those... Which that's our feelings on them. <laughs> yeah, I, I did have the initial gut reaction of like, maybe this could be, it would at least give it more legitimacy to have a referendum over this than to just like in the middle of a council session be like, hey, that thing I kind of said, but then wasn't really serious about we're doing it now. Uh, Ken Sim has tried to retcon history by pointing out that he did say in one random interview during the election, that he might talk to the province about the park oh. board in the future but everyone forgot that interview. Uh, supposedly, he has been in contact with the municipal affairs minister in the past few months planning this. Um, to his credit, his motion doesn't seem like hastily thought out. There is meat to this, so it does seem like he has been working on this for at least a couple weeks, if not a few months. Uh, I have no clue yet what the municipal affairs minister actually thinks about this, um, or if they're eager to take on another contentious city project like uh, we are seeing continue in Surrey. asked about whether this was going to generate value or what the the return uh, would be on abolishing the park board or, you know, what the savings might be, Sim responded, quote, We can't quantify it today. It's a big organization. But intuitively, I'm a lean certified black belt. I understand workflow. I've done it for about three decades now, end quote. Adding, cost savings will not come from job losses. Basically, all of this is vibes. There will be seven job losses in the elected trustees, but I guess the 20000 each they receive can go to hire one or two direct... Well, they already have directors, so there might be like one additional staff person needed to replace them on that side, if that. So maybe it'll it's save a hundred thousand dollars. Well, there, that's that's enough for the Mount Pleasant pool. There we go. Woo! Speaking of other cringe moments in the mayoralty of Ken Sim, City Hall has been rented out as a giant billboard for a concert. The Rolling Stones' iconic lips and tongue logo, you know the one. Uh, was emblazoned on the side of City Hall for an evening on November 21st to announce the fact that the band would be coming to BC Place in 2024. This comes to us via V.S. Wells in the Georgia Strait, who has a good column here, breaking down how this came to be. Uh, the stones are cool, but they are very much an, like, you're, it, it fits with the vibes, oh, actually, yeah. for Ken Sim, where... When I, I remember interviewing him and he talked about wanting to wear his Iron Maiden shirt. So, fine. Uh, what really gets me as well is this 
announcement was also made with a pretty cringe video of Mike Klass and Sarah Kirby Young and Peter Meisner, ABC counselors, uh, standing in front of City Hall and announcing this. And when they finally projected on the sit on the building, there's like the most modest of golf claps. <laughs> it's very sad. Uh, and Ken Sim had tweeted this out on his personal or his mayor Ken Sim Twitter account. Uh, what Wells points out in this article is the city does have a policy around uh, marketing criteria. And it's generally that they won't do this. <laughs> they won't promote things that are, quote, mainly personal, political, religious, or commercial in nature, which a concert would seem to be commercial in it nature, is, Matthew. And yet, I, like... Personally, I don't have as much of a problem with it, uh, other than the fact that we're kind of violating city policy by doing it. Concerts are large businesses, basically, that tour around the continent and world, uh, drumming up business, uh, selling tickets, etc., etc. And some of these acts are, are certainly iconic, and... Having them be welcome in the city is good for business and good for the city's economy. That I don't have so much of a problem with. It is, I think, very emblematic of what Ken Sim is about when he he is saying, I like I like the Stones, and he seems like a guy who would. Uh, just wanting to put the logo of his, like, it's like a... It's like a grade five idea of what the mayor would be doing, right? It's the mayor going and being like, I'm putting my favorite band on City Hall to get them to come to Vancouver. And admittedly, Kennedy Stewart did quite a bit of work in the mayor's office trying to get, you know, the Vroom Vroom car uh, race, the eSport, or not eSports, uh, electric Formula the Formula E, yeah, Formula E, to come to Vancouver. So, like, sure, the, these people are allowed to have their pet projects, and maybe I'd be doing the same uh, if not for the fact that many of my favorite artists are dead. Uh, so it is. It is noted that the uh, promoter paid a hundred percent of the bill for this, including the insurance. Well, I should fucking hope so. Uh, I don't know if that makes it better or worse. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it does fit very closely with the funding the Stanley Park train with developer money. Yeah, vibe. Yeah, of City Hall. So here we are. Cool. Maybe we'll solve the housing crisis with the developer money. I mean, yeah, that is I, actually a part it, of it. It is going to be developer money that does. Yep, kind of in intrinsically. <laughs> Moving along. Housing regulations. Speaking of those uh, housing crises that uh, BC is just plowing its way through, regulations and policy manuals have been issued to help deliver more homes for people faster. Yeah, so the province, after we talked about all the new bills coming forward from the province on, I think, our last episode, and it, the like overhauls that this is forcing through on municipalities, largely for the better, the province has now already released the details of what cities need to do to come into compliance with those. There's a lot of rules around short-term rental accommodations to update. Uh, I think the most notable thing in there is that municipalities will be able to opt out of the ban, effectively, on short-term rentals outside of primary residences 
if they have a vacancy rate of 3% or more for two consecutive years. Ooh, lol. <laughs> I don't know if I, any city I in BC has that. I have not heard of one, but, you know, yeah. It's a goal now. <laughs> it's a good goal. Uh, the multiplex regulations uh, really specify the very complex set of steps that cities are going to have to go through to update their zoning to permit three or four dwellings per lot, depending on lot size. Uh, as the city of Vancouver is basically going to be six dwellings for every lot because every lot almost is within uh, the prescribed distance, I think 200 meters of a bus stop with 15 minute service. So six plexes across Vancouver. So glad, as I saw someone in our Slack say, that we went through two years of the Vancouver plan to yeah. do less than this. Okay, can we call also them... Also within we this, call, the Can we call them... Can we call them... Code, yeah. Like, sixplex, I just hate. I hate it as a word, and I understand that we're not going to call them sexplexes. Sure. But can we... Do you want to call them small-scale multi-unit housing? No, as I also don't want to... I want to call them a hexplex, because that sounds cool. Hexplex. New hexplexes coming to Vancouver. Sure. This is my request. Just start using it. Hexplex. Moving along. Uh, there's a few specifics I did see when I skimmed through the regulations. These municipalities are not allowed to designate new heritage areas between effectively now and bringing these laws in. So they can't just, oopsie, actually our whole city is heritage and we don't want these that way. Uh, cities have also been told that when they're bringing in a bylaw to simply comply with these laws of multi uh, multiplexes, they can't hold public Incredible. hearings on it. I, I think that's that's very funny. It's just very funny. It's not it, it's not a bad idea. In fact, it is a good idea, but it is a very funny idea. <laughs> yeah, especially for municipalities that have, you know, had projects derailed by six speakers yeah, exactly. at a multi at a public hearing. So. This is a very good thing. Uh, and finally, there's a lot of rules in here, or there's more recommendations in here about how the specifics should come down to make sure that multiplexes are viable. Uh, anyone who's looked at this knows that it's not enough to simply upzone. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we talked about the Victoria example where they allowed missing middle, but the rules still made it financially unviable. Just yeah. onerous, very, very onerous, very difficult, very unpleasant to to get the actual development approved. Yeah, and done. so the province has set forward recommended best practices that cities aren't bound by, but are supposed to start from. Uh, and then they can take into account some local preferences. Uh, so these are things around like, what is the height limit that you're going to put in place? What are parking minimum or maximums uh, on different ones? With the note that I think the hexplexes can't have parking minimums. Yes, I I think uh, those parking minimums were were generally discouraged, especially around major transit areas. Uh, it's it's a good suite of of recommendations. It is going to cause a lot of mayhem. As a friend of mine who works for a city, had in a stress dream recently that starred me as the Ministry of Municipal Affairs accompanying a bunch of babies and cats into her apartment against her will, <laughs> uh, just saying, we're here to party, we're going to chill here until you get home. Uh, she interpreted this as, as meaning that uh, all of these things were... <laughs> 
all of these things were the regulations and changes that the Ministry of Municipal Affairs uh, were bringing in that were, in principle, good ideas, but were nevertheless going to cause quite a bit of mayhem, uh, which, number one, is very flattering, so thank you, but uh, not inaccurate. And finally, the transit-oriented areas legislation comes with its own suite of regulations defining specifically which transit stops are going to be upzoned to 20 stories or down, depending on what exactly kind they are. Uh, this one got a little bit confusing because there were two order and councils issued, one labeled about 50 areas, which included most but not all of the SkyTrain stations mm. in Metro Van. You'll like this, Matthew. Uh, commercial Broadway was missed. Oh, fuck. The, the, the no towers people won. Uh, but then there was a second order in council issued on the yesterday that replaced the appendix list and it included every SkyTrain station. Oh, good. Great. <laughs> so well, uh, it's a little right. confusing. I'm not 100% sure, but there there's going to be a full list for cities. Um, there's a lot of there's circles drawn with each of those so that cities know. One thing that's really interesting in the circles, because it's within 200 meters of a SkyTrain station, you have to allow 20 stories. But it seems like if the 200 meter circle touches a lot, that lot gets applied the higher density. So if like just the sliver corner of your lot is touching that 200 meter circle and the back end is like 210 meters away, your lot can now be a 20 story hmm tower hmm. well very good lots more for cities to do to upzone those areas uh it also clarifies obviously that if like two circles are overlapping the higher density one wins oh good that, yeah, yeah just like obvious things but uh and then there's another paper of modeling released by uh some friends of the show tom davidoff jens von bergman uh and others that suggests this will bring forward hundreds of thousands of new units. Specifically, they talk about a drop of rent of 10 to 12% in the next five years uh, and 200 to 300,000 net new housing units in the next 10. Okay. I am cautiously optimistic, as I, I like when, when modeling shows these kinds of things. Uh, I am always concerned about things like cartel action on the part of developers uh, and, of course, the rising cost of development in general for uh, our ability to actually create the units that they're talking about. Yep. There's absolutely a lot of challenges still in place, especially as the economic situations have changed over the last few years Another change that Vancouver has uh, been seeing is a decrease yeah. in the number of stranger attacks. Right after... When did that decrease start, Matthew? ...issue came to public consciousness in 2021. You mean it wasn't in 2022 when it's all anyone wanted to talk about in the election? Probably. Including the cops who have this Probably data? Probably not. This comes to us via a great CTV news story from Lisa Stacy and Andrew Weichel. Um... A story I really wish CTV had published during mm -hmm. the election. I realized they didn't have the exact data, but like they were among, they, like they weren't the worst, I don't think. I think like Global yeah. was often the worst, but they were in the realm of the moral well, panic. If, if, it, if it bleeds, it leads, plus a moral panic, plus the apparatus of the Vancouver Police Department had been 
or sorry, the police union had been mobilized to influence the election via propaganda. It's pretty clear how we got to the place that we're at. Yeah. So in specific, the VPD reported in October 2021 that there had been 1,555 stranger attacks in the city over the last year, which was a 35% increase compared to 2019. Now, a very recent analysis presented to the Vancouver Police Board uh, indicated that, sure, 2021 was higher than 2019, but the decline started basically after the pandemic. So there was a spike in 2020, and then it started declining. So from the document, it says a random sample of assault data from 2021, 2022, and 2023 suggests a steady decline in unprovoked stranger assaults. It doesn't quantify those, and CTV has asked for data and was told that it went from 4.5 per day in 2021 to 1.1 per day in the first half of 2023. A police officer, Sergeant Steve Addison, said, quote, that's definitely moving in the right direction, but there's still more work to do. Ugh. Uh, <laughs> the department, of course, did not provide any numbers for 2022 itself when anecdotal reports of the crimes were uh, at their highest. Uh, and, of course, the campaign was in full swing. Uh, the same police officer, Sergeant Addison, said that he would be looking into sharing that information. Hmm. Hmm. Seems a little suspicious to me, but, you know, who could tell? It's... It's almost like we suffered a kind of unprecedented social dislocation sometime around, mm, I don't going to say, March 17th, 2020. Yeah, like, stranger attacks are one crime stat, and there are other crime stats that don't show the same decline. It's just the prevalence of this specific stat in the discourse at that time. Uh, CTV notes there was, like, nothing that talked about a decline in crime at the time. Which is funny being the media. Like, we've noted that we didn't talk about this thing. Huh. Hmm. Well, I guess better late than never. Thank you, CTV, for bringing this to light. Um, remember this as you uh, drink in whatever the cops are spoon-feeding you next election. Speaking of... Speaking... Go ahead. Yep, you got it. Speaking of crime... <laughs> Let's go to West Vancouver. Yes, uh, in West Vancouver, Mayor Mark Sager is in hot water yet again, this time with Elections BC. You may note that this same mayor, Mr. Sager, uh, was cited by the Law Society for improprieties relation relating to the filling out of a friend's will. Uh, or a client's will that he also was a beneficiary in. Uh, now he's redone his office with his campaign funds, which is not allowed. Yeah, so the details of alleged spending irregularities are not officially released, uh, but there was a forwarding of a concern to Elections BC who asked the RCMP to investigate and they passed it on to Port Moody Police. Presumably, they didn't want the West Vancouver Police to investigate it, given that Sager is the chair there. Sager's defense, and this is where the uh, mayor's office comes up, is that he asked 
elections BC in November 22, what he could do with his leftover campaign funding, uh, including spending it on his office, on redoing the mayor's office. Uh, they, a very nice gentleman, he says, said he could do it, certainly. Uh, and he said he was asked again. And he asked again, and they said again that he could do that. A very nice now, gentleman. We both went very to nice the... gentleman. That's the, the, the name of the people at Elections BC. Very nice gentleman uh, who very much, exists. Very much, who exists. Very much yes, exists. Absolutely. We both went through the Elections Act and Elections BC documents to figure out what do you actually do if your campaign is so successful, you raise so much money that you have a bunch left over. Uh, the answer is they don't really care if it's under 500 bucks, which is fair. That's not much money. If it's 500 or more, you have to give it to this. And this is if you're an individual. If you're an elector organization, there is a continuous body that can hold it. So that's less of an issue. But if you're an individual candidate, you have to give that money to the city. They put it in a trust fund for you to use if you run again in the subsequent election. If you don't use it, then the city can spend it however they want. Yeah. And so, like, he could have... I don't actually see a way that this could have been made legal. Like, it, it does seem like there has to be a period of this money sitting in trust before um, it would be used for something like this. Like, he is redoing city property, and I think it is good that it's not, like, directly related to taxpayer funds that that redid the mayor's office, because that is you know, it's kind of a personal expense. Uh, not personal, but you know what I mean. Uh, the benefits are narrow. The benefits are very, very narrow. Um, but it's not in accordance with what the law says should be happening. No. No, it's <laughs> not. I'm reminded, of course, of Congressman Aaron Schock in the United States, who, uh, in addition to having... Uh, just glistening six-pack abs, uh, redid his office to look like Downton Abbey and therefore had to resign from Congress. Uh, time will only tell whether Mayor Sager faces the same fate. And maybe in his defense, uh, Sager's defense, I don't know what the state of the West Vancouver mayor's office was. Maybe it was dire. Like, I can support public spending on... Those kind of things like the prime minister's residence is an utter disgrace that we've let it crumble like that because of an unwillingness to spend on our civic institutions, even if they are like for the head of state government, primarily government. head of government, right? head of government. Yeah. I mean, we I guess we don't have to fund our head of state's no, we, residence we, as we, much. I mean, we, we keep up we Rideau Hall. Yeah. Uh, and so like mayors should have decent, reasonable offices. I don't know what the state was. Maybe it needed a renovation and he was just trying to save the good people of West Vancouver a few bucks by using his money that wasn't supposed to go to this. But Yeah, like, it should have just been done in accordance with law. Uh, some maybe statement in writing should have been gotten from Elections BC saying that he could have done this. Uh from the very, very nice man. If he is so nice, maybe he could write a very, very nice email. Uh, of course, 
I am uh, skeptical as to whether such communications actually took place, but it is good to get this stuff in writing. And I, you know, I want to see a before and after picture, obviously. Like, <laughs> if, law if laws have been broken. <laughs> I want to see a gold toilet, um, damn it. Yeah, that that would be quite something. Um, but, you know, it's it's... It's important that laws are followed, and particularly by our elected officials. Hot take. Yes. Um, we've decided to add a little holiday cheer to this episode of The Campy Report uh, by sharing with you a cocktail named after Amor de Cosmos, BC's second premier. Uh, it is very brief, but it is uh, apparently something that he quite enjoyed. Uh all you need is 1.5 ounces of Canadian whiskey, a tablespoon of grenadine, an ounce of cranberry juice, a splash of ginger ale, a splash of club soda, and a cherry. Uh, shake the rye, grenadine, and cranberry juice with ice and strain into a cocktail glass. Add the splash of ginger ale and club soda and add a maraschino cherry to garnish. There you have it. Just a bright, colorful cocktail from uh, what is quoted in a Douglas... Todd story as our philosopher second premier, uh, also known as uh, Total Bonkers Madman uh, Amorta Cosmos. Matthew, what if I don't like the sound of that taste exactly, or I want to make it different? Can I vary well, this yes, cocktail? Well, yes, you can. Uh, in the article describing the Amorta Cosmos cocktail, it says uh, what's... <laughs> It's a versatile drink that can be customized to suit your taste. Simply add more simple syrup. If you like your cocktails a little on the tart side, increase the amount of lime juice. Feel free to experiment and make this cocktail your own. You may notice, of course, that the original recipe did not include any lime juice or simple syrup. Uh, but it, uh, it seems to be very versatile in which uh you could just add any ingredient single piggledy uh i also see in this instruction start by gathering fresh ranber fresh raspberries cranberry juice lime juice and simple syrup and your choice of vodka or rum notably not the rye that was in the original recipe yeah not yeah not the whis rye not the raspberries not the lime juice or simple but it had cranberry juice yes so, so it has inspired us to create a second cocktail for your enjoyment uh the Camby Report. Choose from amongst the liquors you have, or those you don't, as you like, and add them to a shaker, or if a shaker is not available, shake the bottle of liquor beforehand. Open your fridge and select from the available ingredients those which are closest to, but have not yet expired. Combine over ice, or if you prefer, heat. Shake, stir, and boogie both yourself and the drink to taste. Add fizz and serve in a red solo cup with garnishment as the court orders. Enjoy. Feel free to vary any steps or ingredients as you prefer. Exactly. Obviously. Well, I think that pretty much brings us to an end of an episode of the Cambi Report, but we end all such episodes with a little tidbit from Vancouver's history, a Van Kuverata. And this is... Another Christmas-related thing, how did Vancouver's Christmas market come to be? Yes, I was just down there this past weekend enjoying the Glühwein, and, oh, I didn't have a bratwurst this time. I had spatzel, uh, which was really yummy. 
And it's something I do quite often. It's ridiculously expensive these days as you spend $20 to get in, $10 for a drink and $20 for food, and you've probably blown through 100 bucks before you've even had a good time. But it's become iconic on Jackpool Plaza. Historically, Vancouver has had all kinds of different markets. The Vancouver Christmas Market officially says its markets have been around since 1990. Uh, there have been different ones held inside Canada Place and, you know, all those kind of maker markets and things like that. The German Christmas market, though, only started in 2010 by German immigrant Malte Klutz, who missed the European Christmas markets of his youth and decided that rather than have that here, he would have something that would make a lot of money and exploit as many people as possible. Because if you've ever been to a European Christmas market, they are fantastic ways to get drunk cheap in the middle of the street while shopping craft vendors there's no gates <laughs> for those right you just wander them and they're lovely this one's lovely but you but because you have to pay to get in uh, i'm i'm making him sound to be more of a villain than i think he is because i think he really did just want to make a christmas market but he launched it finally in 2010 and has been quite proud of it and what it's grown into since. Well, and good for him. Uh, combining the aesthetics of the old world with the rapacious capitalism of the new, uh, the Vancouver Christmas Market will remain a cherished part uh, of Vancouver's holiday traditions as long as it remains profitable. For Leg and Boot Media, I am Matthew Naylor. I'm Ian Bushfield. Good day.